0: Hi everyone, welcome to Solace. My name is Iona and this is my podcast where we are bringing light to social justice issues. I am here with possibly the most exciting guest yet. I'm here with the incredible Sue Divin, and we're gonna be talking about her work in peace, conflict, reconciliation um, and also her book that was released last year called Guard Your Heart. I actually discovered Sue through that book and it just it really brought to light A lot of different things for me that I think have been sort of pushed under the rug for young people living in a post-troubles, post-conflict world. So hi Sue, would you be able to tell us three fun facts about yourself?
1: Okay so I was trying to think of some interesting stuff because I'm really quite a boring person but anyway (laughs) I have come up with firstly I'm a musician and I love playing tin whistle um, and I play flute and stuff like that as well. Um, I also really love languages and travel in different places around the world so pre-COVID, I've been some mad places like Bolivia and Togo and South Africa and Iceland and things like that. Um, And the final one is that I'm a single parent.
0: That is so cool. Like those are just such great facts to talk about. such variation as well. Like um, we're going to go on to it in a couple of questions talking about sort of your backstory and stuff in your life as a single parent. But would you be able to tell us something that has brought light into your life during the pandemic? I always ask these questions as sort of as like an icebreaker. And I think We didn't expect to still be in the pandemic like I I don't think when I started the podcast I thought we would still be here like in the COVID-19 sort of world but what is something that has brought light to your life during this time.
1: I think being outdoors you know at the time when there was extreme lockdowns uh, being able to get out of the house and go anywhere outdoors for a walk or I, I even managed a couch to 5k which was miraculous for me um and anywhere where I could meet with a friend when you were allowed to do that you know you mm-hmm. suddenly realize how much you value um you know conversation with friends and stuff like that so that that's what really helped me
0: I think yeah everyone who's been on has said similar stuff about you know they've actually realize that they've been taking family and friends for granted and all of a sudden it was like you're forced into st- being with around your family all the time and not seeing mm-hmm. your friends and it's just being so much more thankful for what we already have and people have all mm-hmm. said nature as well being out and about it's just I think a running theme is we're all a lot more thankful for the little things in life and I, I definitely am the same um so just getting into today's topic a little bit about your backstory i listened to the peace by peace podcast on spotify which to anyone who's listening i would really really recommend it's a lot about um sort of life in northern ireland or in the north and just life in this post-conflict world and people who are being these amazing peacemakers in our country it's brilliant but you talked a lot about your backstory on that i would love to hear more about your life, what led you to become so passionate about peace and reconciliation?
1: Um, Well I'm originally from Armagh so that's where I grew up and and went to school and I suppose like anybody that grew up during the Troubles, um, you know depending on where you lived um, you might have experienced more or less of it so I was definitely very aware of the Troubles going on around me and I wouldn't say my family was one of the most impacted but there was, there's nobody that wasn't impacted because it was part of daily life then. So seeing that violence and the funerals and the murders every night on the news, there was nothing else, you know, and living in a society where that was at the forefront, you know, even if you're going shopping, you were searched on the way into a shop, all, all the just routine things of, of the impact of the troubles. Um, and a few more direct things, you know, I, I did know people who were killed during the troubles or who were attacked during the troubles, stuff like that, but my own background was very much um, a family that was quite broad minded and encouraged me to just respect and meet people from all backgrounds and identities and I suppose when I was a teenager as well as the fact that i lived on quite a mixed estate i mean i did go to a state school so it was relatively segregated like most people's experience um and i grew up in the presbyterian church at the time um wouldn't self-describe myself that way now but um that's what i grew up with but unlike many other people My friendship circle was very broad because I was a musician, so I learned to play traditional music. I was also in an orchestra. I was meeting people from very diverse backgrounds there. I was also into youth drama and I tended to meet people from very different backgrounds there. Um, So I had a broad experience, but I remember studying my A-levels. I'm thinking, I just want out of here. I don't want to be in Northern Ireland. Just get me somewhere else where I can breathe and be who I want to be. Um, So I I lagged it and I went to Hull, which is in the north of England, and I studied European studies, which is a mixture of like history, politics, languages, that kind of thing. I also lived in France for a year as part of that. And after that, I guess I kind of give Northern Ireland one last fling of the dice. I thought, right, if I go back, um, I'm only going back if I have something clear to do. And and two clear things that I'd applied for kind of landed in my plate. One was to do uh, a teaching qualification, uh, PGCE, to teach secondary school. And that was in Queens. Um, for politics and history geography type teaching um, and the other one which I deferred for one year after that was a master's in peace and conflict studies at McGee uh, University of Ulster in Derry and that's what moved me to Derry I did both those things um, and then went into teaching um, and I just stayed in Derry because I traveled around so many other places I kind of thought you know what I'm going to put down roots somewhere so that was yeah. me.
0: That is so interesting and such like a I don't know it seems that everything in your life just sort of led one thing led to another and I think that's what a lot of people are finding now is one thing in their life they don't really go on that path to find their Mm -hmm. career and then the career they end up in they didn't really expect to but that's so interesting what sort of led you to change from teaching to the work that you're doing currently
1: um well in some ways, it wasn't a massive transition. Um, If you think of the subjects that I taught, I mean, I was mainly teaching, I trained to teach politics, and I was teaching a lot of history, a lot of citizenship, learning for life and work type stuff at the time. Um, And, you know, those things are all the topics that are the issues that people talk about in good relations and diversity work. Mm -hmm. So topic wise, it was a very similar field. It was just that It moved from an audience of teenagers in a formal school setting to much more in a community setting and occasionally still in schools. And the skill set was the same. So as a teacher, you're facilitating, you're discussing things with people, you're helping them reflect on issues. And a lot of the good relations work that I shifted to in council tended to be the same type of thing, only you maybe weren't stuck with a curriculum. You could be more creative in how you approach that um and and that was really the shift i just got an opportunity and applied for something and i and i got it so i've worked for Derry city and Strabane district council for a good 15 years now in that sort of peace and reconciliation field
0: that is really really interesting that's so great as well and i think even maybe your time teaching and you can correct me if i'm wrong sort of developed like your your sense of curiosity for that i mean i think being in a room with i guess young people who are wanting to learn it sort of lights a fire in you like did did you find that when you were teaching
1: absolutely I mean I love teaching I I didn't leave it because I disliked working with teenagers I actually loved the practical side of teaching at the time it was probably the bureaucracy and the various situations with employment and stuff that that caused me to look elsewhere Mm -hmm. and then sometimes something just falls in your way and and you know it's an opportunity you know there's something in you that sort of says actually that might be something I would really like to do let's give it a shot and and you play and if you get it you get it you know
0: that is great like teaching has been something that I was definitely considering I think working in schools and just working with young people and being able to teach uh, something you enjoy is like just such a brilliant thing and I think having that background is like very helpful for what you're doing now. Um, but I, you have written the novel Guard Your Heart, which is the book that I was talking about, and it's just it is such a brilliant book, and I think. It would just be great if you could explain the story to us and why you decided to write it.
1: Yeah, so Guard Your Heart, um, it's, well, it's a YA, young adult crossover novel. So it's suitable for teenagers, but it's also suitable for adults. So it's really accessible and it's like a Romeo and Juliet story. So it's set in Derry in a very real context in summer 2016. And the whole backdrop of the story is real stuff and is Northern Ireland as it is today. Um, But the, the kind of the fictional concept was, I I wanted to write the story of today's generation of young people who are, I suppose, what Leora McKee called the ceasefire babies who weren't in Northern Ireland during the Troubles that are born after 1998. So I sort of came across in my own head the idea of, right, so what if you had two young people um, who were both born on the day of the Good Friday Peace Deal? They didn't live a single day during the Troubles, but yet their lives, because they're from two different communities are still hit with the legacy of all that stuff. Um, And I suppose I also thought there's not many people writing today in books. You know, the the today of Northern Ireland is such as plenty of brilliant Northern Irish authors. um, But particularly in the young adult field, there's a limited number in Northern Ireland. There's there's a few brilliant writers, um, but none of them had really written about the complicated political, historical context of what's going on. Whereas that stuff really interested me. So in the book, um, Aiden and Iona, it's summer 2016. They're both 18. They're just finishing up their A-levels. And that summer is ahead of them before they make those big decisions or, you know, choices Mm -hmm. about their lives. And it's really a sectarian hate crime um, where Aiden is beaten up that brings them together kind of accidentally because it happened that Iona was a witness to the event and she filmed it. Um, and that brings them together to meet and discuss basically how they're going to move on from that. And of course, then it is a love story. They do fall in love and it's how they navigate that. The, and, and basically the family histories, because I, I don't think Guard Your Heart is the story of every single young person in Northern Ireland. I think many teenagers today do uh, have very diverse experiences, don't particularly identify necessarily with one main community or the other. They can be from completely different backgrounds. But many young people equally are still in quite segregated environments where they live, where they've gone to school, and particularly for the likes of Aidan, who's from an Irish, Catholic, Republican, sort of socially deprived type background. He's a really tough life I mean let's face it you yeah. know and he hasn't had a lot of chance to meet with people from different thinking different cultures different identities so you know he has a family history there but so does Iona um she may have a bit more of a mixed experience with her school and where she lives but she has a family history of connections to the police um and you know her faith is important to her whereas Aiden's maybe slightly more activist political thinker you know but not really interested in his you know nominal catholic religion so they're they're diverse and it's just their story of how they fall in love and how they deal with all that baggage.
0: Yeah I think like as a young person reading the book I just find it to be really enlightening I think I've been in like a I don't know a very as you said your childhood was quite broad you know you were around a lot of people and you had very open parents and I'm but in the same position I haven't been you know told like to think some sort of way and I think Mm -hmm. reading this book gave me a very like diverse view of the two different sides and but no reading the book just genuinely did give me this view and I think people reading it who haven't been able to meet with one side that they've been stuck in sort of home where sectarian beliefs are very very prominent are going to be able to have their eyes open through your book has your life changed since you wrote it have even your own perspective has your own perspective changed or you know in what ways has your life changed
1: um not dramatically um so i I still live in the same place i'm still in the same job although i now work four days a week instead of five so i have a little bit more time to actually be a writer Um, So it hasn't made a dramatic difference to me. I mean, I I do get asked occasionally to speak at events or facilitate workshops based on the book. And I guess that was kind of the hope. Um, And writing the book, I mean... I, I stumbled into it by accident. It was kind of just because as a single parent, I was stuck in the house in the evenings sometimes. And I got fed up watching telly, like many people did during lockdown, actually. I just got I, at an earlier stage in my life before COVID, I was already sick of what was on telly. So I, I just started writing instead. And after a while, while being about 18 months went, oh, I've actually reached the end of a novel here. What do I do with that? <laughs> yeah. You know, because nobody tells you unless you go asking questions what you do and it it was a big learning curve but it gradually improved and I got the breaks I needed to get and really it's about using fiction so something that's not real so it is a safe way to prompt thinking or a conversation about where we're at what might help us here in Northern Ireland and and also triggering empathy that skill of trying to put yourself in somebody else's place and understand what it's like for them and again fiction is a safe way to do that because you're just reading a made-up story in a sense but the real thing is how it makes you think and how you process what you're learning on the other side of it so i mean Definitely. I hope that people just read it for the story because it's a page turner because there's a whole action plot that that happens through it. But equally, I would love it if when people close the back cover, they go, that that made me think, you know, I mean, has this changed me? So, yeah, um, I I wrote it hoping that it would be a tool for peace, that it might even reach a new audience of people who don't normally engage in those conversations. And I, I think it is. And I think that applies within Northern Ireland first. It also applies in Ireland, but it equally applies across Great Britain and wider afield because a lot of people not from here have been sort of sold the simplified story of Northern Ireland that, oh, it's just about Catholics and Protestants and can't we just get over it? And they're never told, actually, this is really complicated what's going on here. And to be honest, there's not an awful lot of it to do with actual religious faith. It's a whole history, politics, rights, culture identity everything so
0: I think definitely like that is really well put I think especially when you turn you close the book you realize that that wasn't like some sort of dystopian YA fantasy that is the world that we're living in currently like I'm living in the country where this is happening it's set in 2016 so you know I my maths is gonna but that's five years ago five years ago four no but yeah six years ago oh wow, like that, but that's very recent to like what's happening today. And it makes you think about, you know, this is the world that I'm going to go out into and what impact can I make from what I've learned from reading. And I think it's definitely in a way like an educational tool, not just in like a school sense, but in like a personal sense, because when you read it, you are opened up to these new perspectives. And I think that's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Do you think that today's generation of young people are affected by the troubles? I know there is some sort of debate over whether you know we're d- directly affected or but is there a sense of quote-unquote generational trauma you know possibly continued by parents with strong okay. sectarian views you know what is your opinion on this?
1: Yeah I think there's definitely a sense of, of a legacy that young people today are dealing with um and how much you're aware of that and how deeply it impacts you may depend on your circumstances um firstly, there's the things that are not normal in our society that we rarely question. It is not normal that kids, young people, teenagers, young adults are divided from educational purposes, from nursery school in terms of where they go. I mean, 7% of young people attend an integrated school and add on to that about 3% who go to a school that's not technically integrated, but has a mix in it. So that leaves 90% of young people who are in segregated education. That is not normal in a modern society. We also have really segregated housing. So yes, particularly newer housing estates might be more mixed or in certain areas and stuff, you know, there there is a certain amount of mixed housing, but the bulk of our council housing and many people's lives is still segregated in terms of their community that they're living in. So if you combine those two factors, which are really critical in any child or young person's life, until they reach the age of 16 or 18 and are entering work or higher education or whatever route, then they may not actually really have mixed that much in, in a meaningful way. They might not in their social circles or in their families have a lot of engagement with the other, whatever that other is. Mm-hmm. So that's the big thing. Um, obviously, then you can also talk about the the more the direct things of you know if if you have parents who've been deeply impacted by the troubles then there's issues possibly with their mental health and how they are able to parent and how present they are as parents um you know and there's all the other influences in communities on people um you know so yes i think i think mental health is a legacy of the troubles I think um substance abuse and misuse is a legacy of the troubles I I think divided you know segregated education segregated housing is a legacy of the troubles those are big things and so many young people are impacted by them as well as those who've maybe lost people directly in their families you know I was discussing with my mom sort of what
0: we were thinking about the situation what I could discuss and I brought me back to this episode of ironically dairy girls um the episode, yeah the
1: blackboard yeah. you're going to say the blackboard yeah, aren't you
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's brilliant episode. though it is it's a great picture of sort of the world we're living in it's where the protestants and the catholics come together on a residential a joint um cross-community residential and they discuss their differences and similarities and there's a long long list of differences and a very short list of similarities but i was actually thinking in sort of where i live and like the areas and my friends there hasn't been that sort of place in this community there hasn't been a place that's been created for us to connect with each other the different quote-unquote sides there hasn't been that area
1: created for us you see that that's actually what you've named there is the hub of the issue it's not necessarily that young people are carrying prejudice some may but many young people today aren't but they haven't had the opportunity to mix and you know if you ask yourself or your listeners and this applies to adults as much as teenage have a think about the contacts in your phone or the contacts the friends in your social media circle and how diverse are they you know um Is that representative of the demographics of Northern Ireland or is it slanted one way or the other? And that tells you everything you need to know about how mixed we are. And the more you engage with people from different backgrounds and form friendships, the more chance you have of empathy with all the different views.
0: Like it is very, very telling. Even me thinking now, it is very telling of just... Who we mix with and who we have the ability to create connections with. And I think what comes back to in a lot of the episodes I've done, even in, you know, I did an episode um, on conflict transformation and it was talking about um, countries in Africa and they're very similarities to like Northern Ireland. But it comes back to just not having the space to create these relationships and these connections and how actually building relationships with people is the way to go forward. It is the way to find out about other people and maybe break down these, you know, barriers with so much stigma surrounding them that we haven't actually had the opportunity to. I think there's a lot of blame put on ourselves when society is actually at play here. Um, There's also, I think this is a good question to ask is, is there a difference in how the conflict in our country affects you depending on what socioeconomic class you are? And could you explain this? Because obviously we don't like it's a very you know controversial topic to talk about class and technically there shouldn't be but in our world there just is and that is something we can't ignore so is there a difference in, you know how it affects you if you're working class if you're middle class you know is that a thing
1: um yeah I'll probably answer it in terms of whether you live in an area of deprivation or, or not because that's kind of how we tend to talk about that but yeah um I think if you go back to the troubles. There were certain types of areas that were more impacted by the violence. So the more urban, the more deprived the area or areas directly along the border tended to be the areas that were most badly hit by the violence, by the deaths, that kind of thing during the Troubles. So there is most legacy of the Troubles, most intergenerational uh, impact there. The further away you were from those areas, the less impacted you were. Um, So Obviously, I've named urban and deprivation as a factor within that. So, yeah, you'll have people who, you know, if if you want to use the term working class identity, whose family history will be more imbued um, with the impact of violence. What I would say is that doesn't mean to say that those are necessarily the areas that are the most sectarian or the most racist or the most homophobic or prejudiced, because the mindsets in some middle class or, or other areas could be far more prejudiced um, and less empathetic. What I tend to find um, in reality as well as in fiction is the characters with the most to lose also have the most to gain. And sometimes if you are at the hard edge of feeling the impact of something, you are also the most motivated to make a change. So if you look at where there are strong vocal activist community structures, Um, across Northern Ireland you will often find those in the more deprived areas partly that's a funding thing but also it's partly people realizing that they need to stand up for their communities and they need to be vocal if they want change to happen because if if change if peace doesn't happen they're gonna they're gonna feel the brunt of that Um, whereas those who are shielded if you like by by their income they have less to lose because you know if something goes wrong in their area well they can move they can apply for a different job they, you know, they're more mobile but they also tend to be further away from where violence or the impact of segregation really hits so they're not as affected by it and sometimes that means they don't get as involved in in peace work as well
0: and i think even in the sense of you know the two like communities haven't even had the chance to connect there has been a massive divide between the different socioeconomic groups I mean there hasn't been even opportunity for them to connect with each other and understand their struggles so there has been a massive sort of distance between them which has created even more segregation in our communities and it's just very very telling of the world that we're living in I keep saying that but you know the country that we're living in the society that we are experiencing and I think you explained that really brilliantly so thank you for that um and then I like to have a little bit of practical action at the end something that we can go out and live in our lives because I don't want people to just listen and think oh that was, that was good that was nice we nice we podcast and then you know, not go and do anything I love to have a little challenge for people listening and for myself as well I like to be challenged and um, so as young people and honestly even adults but specifically young people how can we break the cycle and move our country forward like well, could you give us some practical action on how to do that and obviously it's a very it's a very big thing to tackle but even little things that we can do.
1: Yeah, surely. And and part of me feels like, you know, uh, as as an adult, you know, as somebody well past the kind of teenage years that really I should be learning from all of you rather than trying to give advice, you know. But I think the key things to do are um, be active. So don't sit back and wait for somebody else to change it. Whatever you're passionate about, go for it. I mean, it's fantastic to see yourself, um, you know, doing these (laughs) podcasts and stuff. Equally, somebody might be an environmentalist and say, I need to change the future because it's not going to be here if we don't do something. Or somebody might feel passionate about, you know, um, Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, inclusion in terms of tackling homophobia or mental health, whatever it is, be active about the thing that you are passionate about and about the thing that you have an interest in and maybe the thing that has impacted you because you know that speaks from your heart um, and your experience so be active challenge prejudice if you hear people being prejudiced and this happens with all age groups but i know it happens in school as well you know challenge people if they're being prejudiced if they're using prejudicial language or if they're you know if they're acting in a way that is not good for you know towards other people um a random one, or or one that people, I think many people, cringe from, is when you are old enough, register to vote and vote. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of young people will say, "But I hate all the political parties. I don't <laughs> want to vote for any of them. Why should I even bother?" If that's the case, go in and spoil your vote. But register to vote and vote in for any party um, in any way you want to, because by doing that, you are making your Presence no. Even a spoiled vote sends a message to politicians that they're not getting something right. If people are active enough to turn up, but there's nobody on that list that they want to vote for, or you know, uh, go and, and vote for the least worst one, because yeah. if you don't vote, the people who have more extreme views tend to be the ones who are more motivated to turn out and vote. Mm-hmm. So that means the politicians will continually play to the more extreme views because that's where they're getting their votes. So. Use your voice in that sense Um, stretch yourself. So go places local to you or far away that you have never been. You know, how many people from Protestant background have have been in a Gaelic club or or a community hall in in the middle of a different community? How many people from a Catholic background have actually gone and visited a church from a Protestant background or have gone and engaged in a community group from the other side of the fence? or even engaged with people from the LGBT community or from our black and minority ethnic community. So go meet new people, new places, and go there in a listening mode. Don't go there with a sort of savior complex of I have Mm -hmm. all the answers. Go and listen and you will learn so much by doing that. So, I mean, I think, you know, one of actually a random fact, in the book, in Guard Your Heart, there is a poem that I wrote when I was at school as a teenager um so as a teenager never feel that you know a skill that you have or something you're passionate about that you can't make a change because actually I think people really need to hear from teenagers and young adults and children and stuff so speak up
0: yeah well thank you so much like those are brilliant and I think even when you're talking about going and meeting different groups of people it's honestly it's gonna help you more possibly than it is them like there's just something about going and listening and learning and yeah just speaking up and being confident and I know those are difficult things to do I know self-esteem of our young people is
1: and also I should caveat that with speak up but in a safe way so I mean speak up against racism but if, if that's in a situation where you're putting yourself in danger speak up in a safe way or act in a safe way you know but find a way to be heard
0: yeah, and I think social media as well has been a great platform for people to do that. Or even there are so many youth parliament and youth council and youth voice like mm-hmm. organizations that you can actually have your voice heard in. Um and I think I also want to mention that there the you know the episode of Dairy Girls that we were talking about in the cross community. There actually is T-Buck. I was thinking about T Buck, it's a great organization. Yep. It works mostly in areas of deprivation, but it is a cross-community group that goes into schools and brings different communities together that is one example i have of that but even joining the small amount of organizations that we have i think is very helpful even to you like to yourself just joining and speaking at these things is great mm-hmm. um, so just to finish off are you working on another book are you do you have any plans for another novel yeah um i probably have it here <laughs> oh wow am i getting the?
1: oh my. truth God. be told um it's out just before easter this year Um, so if you like guard your heart you'll probably like truth be told um it's it's set in autumn 2019 again it's teenagers uh this time it's two girls who are both 16 and so they're just starting their sort of a level year at school that kind of sixth form year um and the scenario is that they are both from different parts of northern ireland uh one is sort of dairy urban Uh, single parent family women all the time uh, from a tough background and the other one is from rural armagh and from quite you know central family unit all the rest of it but the crux of it is they meet on across community residential and they discover that they look virtually identical um, which triggers them on a quest to find out are they related and what's the link but what they actually uncover is a whole story of three generations of women um, in Northern Ireland, um, and it tells the stories that don't fit that common Catholics versus Protestant narrative. And it also has an LGBT theme in it and various other themes because autumn 2019 was when we'd had no government for almost three years at Stormont, and there was there was big issues, you know, going through the the social processes there. So it's all that it's the same kind of contemporary context of Northern Ireland and teens exploring stuff
0: i love that you have so many different topics tackled in that it must have been a very complicated thing to work through but such a rewarding experience and i'm really excited to read that um so where can we find guard your heart and truth be told do you have anywhere that we can go on social media you know online where we can buy the book or learn more
1: yeah um truth be told it's only available for pre-order at the minute until it's published on the 14th of april but um as with guard your heart you can basically get it anywhere so that kind of phrase of all good bookshops i mean if you have a local independent bookshop i'd encourage you to support them because shop local helps everybody so if, if you have a bookshop in your local community just go and ask them and they can probably order in if it's not already in stock uh it's also in the branches of waterstones across northern ireland or you can get it online if you prefer but I'm very much sort of buy local, support local jobs if you can, rather than going to the things online if you can avoid them. But yeah, you can <laughs> get it anywhere.
0: That is so brilliant. Well, thank you so much. So honestly, this has been such a beneficial episode. And I'm so grateful to have you here. Honestly, a little... Thank you so track.
1: much for the opportunity. I think you're doing great stuff with your podcast. So keep up the great work.
0: Oh, thank you very much. And to everyone who's listening, um, stay tuned and I'll see you next time. Bye.